believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The verse we're going to look at this week and next week is verse 9. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Two questions that uh, often preoccupy people and have done through the ages are, who am I and what am I doing here? And that just doesn't refer to you know, their time at school when they're sitting in front of an exam paper, what a, who am I and what am I doing here, that kind of panic. But as people reflect on the meaning of life altogether, who am I? What am I doing here? If I don't know who I am and I can't answer the question, what am I doing here, then life is just loads of things that happen to me without any kind of cohesion or order. Where do I get my sense of identity from? I've probably quoted this before, but someone quoted this to me. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Shall I do that again? I am not what I think I am. I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So I'll leave that turning over in your minds. We get our image often from other people, and not necessarily what they do think of us, but what they, we imagine they think of us. For some people, it seems to be that their sense of identity comes from what they wear or carry, having the right logo or branding in it. Even teenagers, those youngsters who love to cast off the forms of life of their parents and do something radically different, actually will conform to one another very closely in what they buy and what they wear. They do not want to stand out. Our identity often is in the other people around about us. Happy is the person who is secure in their identity. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes reflected on this question and comes up with the depressing refrain, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything under the sun. As that person looks out on life, takes God out of the picture, looks on life, he said, all you're left with is utter meaninglessness. But put God back in it, and all things are different. For as followers of Jesus, we get our sense of identity from who God says we are. And our sense of purpose is found in our relationship with him and what he's doing in the world. So this, among lots of other things, is what God is saying to us 
this morning. He has lots of things to say about who we are. Peter is speaking to God's elect, as another one, scattered throughout Asia Minor, uh, Asia Minor, but he says that they are, and he lists four things, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now you'll know, having read your Old Testaments thoroughly, that they're very Old Testament pictures. Peter, a Jew, is using Old Testament pictures to describe New Testament Christians. And you'll notice that they're all collective names. Even though they're all in the singular, they're all collective names. In other places, we are called, for example, a child of God, an individual name. That's true. But here, Peter is emphasizing the collective nature of being a believer. We are a group together. All four of these can be found in Exodus 19, either explicitly or by inference. And this passage speaks to these two questions. The people Peter is speaking to belong to God. And the people Peter is speaking to have been given a particular responsibility. We're going to come back to Exodus in a moment. But before we do, who we are and what we do is caught up in Christ. It's not something that he gives us that is separate from himself. We are these things in him. Without him, we cannot be these things. So he is, for example, the living stone rejected by men, we're told, and chosen by God. He is the chosen one. We are chosen in him. Because of our relationship to him means we are also chosen. He is the great high priest. We're a kingdom of priests. He is the great high priest. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. We are a holy nation. He is the holy one of God. And we belong to God. He is the Jesus, the son of God, in a way that we never can be. So we who once were outsiders, sinners without hope and without God, deserving God's wrath and judgment, instead have become, by God's mercy and grace, a community characterized by choosing priesthood, holiness, and privileged relationship to God. So when we become Christians, we join this group of people, not just to have a relationship with God, precious though that is on an individual basis, we become part of this group of people who together have a relationship with God. Now in the beginning... God had this wonderful relationship with people in paradise, undisturbed. But out of all creation, God had chosen humanity. Out of all creation, out of all the things he had made, he chose humanity to look after creation so that creation might be all it was designed to be. That's what God did. chose humanity in order that creation might be everything it should be. However, humanity reneged on that promise and went their own way. And instead of looking after creation, we've basically spoiled it in just about every way we can, by and large, through the centuries. So what God did in the rescue plan was to choose a man, a man called Abraham. Why did he choose him? Because he chose him. But he chose a man and a nation so that that nation might help humanity come back to its calling 
to look after the creation on behalf of God. Did you get that? And Peter is saying that is what our task is here and now. He uses these Old Testament pictures to illustrate this idea. And what we are meant to be is a group of people who so demonstrate the likeness of God that it is a winsome light to everyone around us to draw them back to God who can change them, reconcile them to himself, give them a fresh start, incorporate them into his Son so that humanity might once again fulfill its task. So we know what the potential for disaster is in the church. Now we know why hatred and enmity in the church is so awful because it denies the gospel of love, which is our common calling. Disunity and division, which has seen so much a part of what churches have been like, deny the gospel of reconciliation. Judgmentalism and criticism within the church deny the gospel of grace. And it all insults, distorts and dishonours the name of God. But when we work in harmony together, when we see who we are in Christ, being built together into one building and offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, then anything's possible. Indeed, filled with his spirit, everything's possible. So we are the people of God. And he uses these four terms. The first one is chosen people. You can think of all sorts of times when you are chosen. Maybe your mind goes back to those gruesome days in school when you were just that high. And in playtime, the boys would get a football and choose teams informally. Do you remember those awful times? Well, it's okay if you could play football. But if you were not a footballer, you'd be the one standing by the wall waiting as everyone else is chosen. And then someone will say, oh, all right then, Charles, you can be on our team, but don't you muck it up. They chose me only because they didn't want to see me crying. But you don't really chose me. You want to be the first one chosen. You don't want to be by default the last one chosen. But this choosing is by someone who knows you very well. We are chosen by God. The choice of God is an interesting thing because it never explains why he chooses us. Basically, he chooses us because that's the kind of God he is. He chooses. But his choice is never to exclude anybody else. Choosing is in order that the whole may be blessed. So when he chose humanity to look after his creation on his behalf, it wasn't to make humanity privileged it was in order that the whole creation could know his blessing. When he chose Abraham and the Jews, he wasn't saying all the other nations are of no value. He chose them in order that, through this one chosen nation, all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Okay, you, God chooses one out of the whole in order that the whole might know the blessing. So when he talks about choosing us, it's not a rejection of our neighbours, our work colleagues, the people we meet on trains and buses. It's not a rejection of them at all. We are chosen in order that somehow or other our chosenness 
will allow all the people who haven't yet experienced that choice to come into that reality. We are chosen by God. It means we've been set apart for a life of dedication and consecration to the Son of God. We are chosen for a particular purpose. And our chosenness is somehow to reflect the character of God. So this gives us identity. Who am I? I am chosen by God. I am who God thinks I am. I am my life is wrapped up in God. So, taking an image of a small child again, when the small child is in an unfamiliar circumstance, you watch the child reach out for their parent's hand to hold and stand close with this bewildering array of unknownness all around and scary people. And the child draws close to the father or mother as if to say, I belong here. This is who I am. I don't know who you are, but draws close. We are chosen to belong to God. He chooses the small the weak, the insignificant, the vulnerable. He chooses because he loves us. And why does he love us? Because he loves us. That's the kind of God he is. And his love never fails. So for God to choose us means this choice is never reversed. I find that very refreshing. When I was baptized many years ago, I was given a baptismal verse, as many people are. And mine was John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, said Jesus, but I chose you. And over the years since then, it has been a great comfort to me when I get things wrong, do the wrong thing, and I feel like God is saying, oh, I wish I hadn't chosen you after all, and left you standing by the wall, you just spoiled the game. But no, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I know all about you. And that gives me a great sense of security, doesn't it? Identity in God. We as disciples are loved with an everlasting love. Paul says, neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nothing already in existence, nothing to come, nor any power, nor the heights, nor the depths, nor any created thing, whatever, will be able to come between us and the love of God known to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jim, as he sits at home, frustrated because he can't do things, life is not turning out for him and Jenny as they had hoped it would be, retirement has taken a completely different shape, know this, that nothing can separate them from the love of God. God has chosen them. They belong to him. Whatever else happens, it is a good place to be, notwithstanding difficulties. Together we are then, chosen people, a holy nation. I don't know what you think of when you hear holy nation and God is being holy. I imagine that some people think of it rather in terms of a hospital corridor, very, very clean and tidy, but not the sort of place you want to spend any time in because it's very boring, holiness is boring, but not if you look at God properly. The heavens, says the psalmist, declares the glory of God. Well, you can't but stand in wonder when the, you see the sun rising on the frosty field. You just have to stand and look at it, don't you? When, you, when you're on some mountaintop looking at the sun sets in the west and you just have these sparkling, wonderful colours reflected on the clouds, you just have to stop. Now this is not God, my friends. I'm not suggesting these things are God. They just are a little fraction of the hem of his garment. But they make us stop with their fantastic beauty. Or you get your microscope out and look at something in detail and you think, oh, wow. A friend of ours had these little microscopes that we could use and he took us on a little walk around the woods 
and he said, hug a tree. And uh, you had to look at the, closely at the bark of a tree in one of these microscopes. I tell you what, it was like looking at Star Wars, like looking at a different world. Those of you who are into this sort of stuff would know it. It's incredible. Or you take a telescope and look out. Or just look around. God is beautiful, my friends. His holiness is beyond compare. And for us to be a holy nation is to be a beautiful nation. We do not all have to wear monochrome clothes and look utterly bland. We're meant to be beautiful people. When Graham Kendrick and others started the March for Jesus, the very first one, they said to people, wear the most colourful clothes you can wear because we're meant to be expressing something of the character of God. We don't want people to think he's just dull and boring, but colourful. We are to bring sparkle and joy into the grey and mundane world of men. Together we are the people of God, jumping to the last one. We are a people who belong to God, giving us a wonderful sense of security. When, sorry, there was only John just dropping things for dramatic effect. It's okay. One of the nice things about marriage, I always feel, is where the husband or the wife or the bride or the bridegroom stand before other people and look into each other's eyes and say, I will love you, come what may. Because it gives to the other person this wonderful sense of belonging. I belong to you, and vice versa. It's a wonderful sense of security. And God says we belong to him. We don't belong to anyone else. We are defined by this relationship with God. And to the question, what am I here for, comes a fourth title. We're here to serve God's purpose, a royal priesthood. So, chosen people, holy nation, a people belonging to God, telling us we're securing God, we're meant to be like God, something of the character of God. But the royal priesthood gives us responsibility because, because priests had a task to perform. All the people of this chosen nation couldn't just go before God. Some were chosen out of the nation, not because they were any better, but in order that the whole nation might become the people God wants them to be. So the priests had a particular role of facilitating what the nation should be like so that the nation could do what the nation had to do, which was to act like a light for all the nations so that all the nations could be drawn to God and come into being what human beings should be, those who give glory and honour to God and care for what is made. You see the process? We are a kingdom of priests to serve God. The purpose of his choosing of one part is that the whole might be blessed. The grounds for his choice are simply this. God chooses because he chooses. Because that's the kind of God he is. You may say, why has God chosen me? Why does he want me to pray? Why does he want me to do these things? Why doesn't he just get on with it on his own? But that's the way he is. He chooses us to share in his wonderful responsibility before him. So as you think about this coming week, as you think about all the things you're going to do in this week, I want you to remember that you are chosen by God and nothing will unravel that choice. Never at any point is he going to say, I wish I hadn't chosen you and I now reject you, so go somewhere else. 
He chose us because he knows us, loves us, and because that's the kind of God he is. And we belong to him. We will always belong to him. Wherever we are, whatever we do, we belong to him. Even people facing really tough medical situations, if they were to turn to God and come to him in Christ, they would know the wonderful sense of belonging to God. And whatever happened in the temporal world, that gives a wonderful sense of security. That God wants our lives this week to be holy, not kind of holier than thou, which kind of is a pointy finger at other people, making them feel uncomfortable, but a kind of lives that sparkle and bring people closer to God. The way we do things, what we say, what we wear even, not just to impress other people, but to reflect the character somehow of God that brings joy into people's hearts. And our task is to be a royal priesthood. To know that as we go about our duties, our task is somehow to manifest the glory of God so that the whole of creation, or that little bit of part of which we're a part, can be drawn to God, our task. And we can look at more of that next week as to how we do that in Peter's terms. But that's our task. My life is here so that other people might be drawn to God and they might come to know what it is to be a true human being. So it's not a life of criticism or judgmentalism. It's not a life of hatred or discord or disunity. It's a life which issues with the love of God. So he closes his little section here with this phrase, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and people will always be perverse, you do the right thing, Someone 300 years before Jesus came, one of the Roman guys, said this. He said, should a man ever come who does only the right thing and says the right thing, men will poke his eyes out and crucify him. That was a Roman speaking 300 years before Jesus came. My quotation is a bit loose. It wasn't exactly what he said, but it was along the lines. So people will always... We do the right thing and people always accuse us of doing wrong. But Peter says this, Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That something about our lives manifests the glory of God among other people and we make their lives that much better this week. So you are chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Father we thank you that though this is your world you have called us into partnership with you in your world. You have made us to be yours and we belong to you. What a precious thing that is Father. We stand in awe of you, that you have made us your own. You have chosen us. We belong to you. And by the work of your Spirit in our lives, are becoming more and more holy. So, Father, as we go about our royal priestly task this week, of living for your glory, amidst the lives of others, May they see what we do. May they see who we are.
May they hear what we say and give glory to you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.